Welcome to the Thrive Podcast with the Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church. How, how does your faith kind of play into it or does it play into it? What can be done about it? When I say the church, I'm talking about uh, evangelical white Christians and the black folk who attend their churches. Hello, welcome to the Thrive Podcast with the Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church. I'm Fred Jeff Smith, pastor of Shiloh, and I'm very happy that you chose to spend this time with us. You're either viewing us on YouTube or listening to us on iTunes, Spotify, or now Amazon. And we're grateful for your taking the time to share with us. Uh, as always, we want to encourage you to give us your opinion about the podcast. You can reach me at Fred Jeff Smith at Cox.net. Fred Jeff Smith at Cox.net. Let us know how we're doing. We're trying to get back on track post, uh, well, not post pandemic, but during the pandemic uh, with having our regular weekly uh, interviews. And I'm very happy today to welcome Councilwoman Erica Green, uh, Councilwoman for the District 5 of East Baton Rouge Parish Metro Council. Councilwoman Green, thank you for taking the time to share with us today. Thank y'all for having me. I'm I'm an avid podcast listener for many podcasts, but I just want you to know that I listen to this one as well, and I'm happy to be here. Thank you so very much. (laughs) So tell us how you got to be Metro Councilwoman Erica Green, because I know a little bit of the story, but others might want to know the background of how that happened. Well, um, when I graduated uh, law school, I was still very involved in the community. Um, And to be honest, I had three uh, community service events back to back, but they were MLK Day of Service events, over 1,500 volunteers each year with my um, sorority. And so at that point, I was able to work with a number of partners, and um, Ronnie Edwards saw me at that particular event and I'm use her words she said when she saw me operating so young with all these people um, managing a large event like that she asked me um, was I interested in politics at that time I was not Um, I did work on a number of campaigns in those years to come Mm -hmm. Um, but eventually I realized that that was a calling for me um, to expand my network with um, helping people. I really just wanted to help people. Um, didn't want to get into the pol- politics of everything. Mm-hmm. But um, in 2016, uh, late Representative Ronnie Edwards um, went to a state rep seat, and then I was appointed to the Metro Council as her replacement. So I was appointed first for a year, and then I ran um, end of 2016, and I've been serving ever since. Okay. So... As I understand it, council uh, persons can serve three consecutive terms. Twelve years. So you are running for your second full term. Yes, sir. The the, the previous time uh, that was Councilwoman Edwards' time does not count against you for running. No. What have you learned through the first uh, term uh, as councilwoman that you did not know 
I, I understand that the job is monumental, and I understand that it's thankless. You, you've always got somebody mm-hmm. telling you, you didn't do this right, you didn't do that right, you didn't come to my birthday party, and all this <laughs> other kind of thing. But oh, what, you know my constituents. <laughs> <laughs> but what have you learned four plus years in uh, that you didn't know when you took the job? So, um, one thing I've always been is opinionated. Mm -hmm. Um, and sometimes you learn that that's not the best thing. So when I came in the seat, you know, I was the quiet, you know, um, and I, I sat down and listened and, and, and tried to see what everybody was doing. But the opinionated part goes with your values and the interests that you're serving for. And I learned a hard lesson about, um, voting, my conscience Mm -hmm. as opposed to voting what the people want Mm -hmm. and that takes time right you have to be able to balance your your constituents have to understand that balance your your colleagues have to understand where you stand and why you stand that way many people think oh this person gave her money or this person funded certain things the truth is my actual first campaign was really funded by lawyers Mm -hmm. um, because I am a lawyer and I learned that at that my role on that seat is to think about the people that don't have a voice and not necessarily Erica's only voice and mm-hmm. the one that she wants and the things that she thinks. And then I have to think about the colleagues and how I can work with them. And we don't always agree, even, and you know that. Yes. But I'm saying, even on the same side, the same race, the same party line, we have to have strong conversations with each other. Yes. And so learning to um, discern when to to make a move, when to make something your issue, because I've learned also everything is not my issue. That may be council person such and such issue. And I will bag them, I will stand with them, but I'm not going to go to bat for that issue because that's, that's not the interest that I serve. Mm-hmm. And so... For me, that was the biggest lesson, um, learning how to stay grounded and understand that even if you're voting for your constituents, you're not losing yourself. Mm -hmm. In your second term, uh, what's your priority for your district uh, going forward? Give me the geographic parameters of your district. So um, the northern side of the district is Scenic Highway. Okay. That's the correct way to do it. Scenic Highway. Um, we are we go on Plank Road, so you're going to cross over Scenic all the way to Plank, and then you cross all the way to Airline, right? Okay. Um, I go all the way as um, far out as Flannery Road. Really? To Central, like that side. And then Hooper Road, I go all the way to Comita States. Okay. I do um, have Park Forest, so I go down Greenwell Springs Road. I have some of Park Forest. I end at Park Forest. I don't have the whole thing. Mm -hmm. And then I jump back in um, further down Greenwell Springs Road. So I tell people it's a large district. It is a large district. It has very, very different um, socioeconomic needs. Mm-hmm. So I have some poverty stricken areas that um, don't have neighborhood associations. Mm-hmm. Then I have some strong working class retired people mm-hmm. who are very adamant about their needs in their neighborhood because they purchased this home. Mm-hmm. And so they have different interests. They do want to know what are you bringing um, to their district. Um, obviously, uh, I always want to, my main priority is holding city parish government and contractors accountable. Mm-hmm. I say that 
because it's hard for uh, individuals and constituents to see you do that. But I have done that in outside meetings. Mm -hmm. I have done that by talking to department heads and sometimes even talking to the mayor's office because administrations changed when I was in office. And so everybody's administration is different. Department leaders leave. So you have to understand that when I say holding people accountable, I'm holding them to the services that they're supposed to provide for the city. Right. Um, And then always economic development is a strong part. Um, I have an industrial district, so most of my businesses are smaller businesses or warehouse-type businesses. Mm-hmm. And because you're looking at your um, airline highways and your um, and your uh, Hooper roads, and that's not normal for a district. So you have to think that you may, you may, I may never get an entertainment spot in my district just because of the makeup and the planning and zoning of the area. Mm-hmm. Um, but I am believing that we will eventually have um, more um, lodging opportunities, more um, restaurants, and um, more uh, entertainment for our district. When you go to a Metro Council meeting, you guys meet typically twice a month. Mm-hmm. Uh, I watch a number of those meetings. It seems like, and, and, and you alluded to it a moment ago, it seems like there's a lot of tribalism, if, <laughs> if I can use that term, that takes place within the Metro Council uh, uh, format. Mm-hmm. And uh, for me, sometimes it's frustrating sitting in that chair watching the Metro Council meeting because from my perspective, it sometimes appears as though decisions have already been made before the meeting took place. And the meeting is just there to confirm the decision that has already been made. I bring that up as as a way of leading into the Alton Sterling settlement decision. It it seems to me that that's the most recent uh, example of where a decision was made before votes were ever cast. Do you want to share your opinion about what happened with the Sterling settlement? So I think I have no problem with sharing my my opinion about it. I, I see it as um, it's not priority for everybody. They they may see it. They know it. Everything happened, and everybody's going to find an excuse to justify their actions. Mm-hmm. I'm going to find a way to say that it's not time. Many of us have lived through it from the beginning to the end because it happened in 16. Yes, and um, a good bit of us are well well read, well educated, and very um and have stayed abreast with the 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 actual legal process. Um they they knew how the community was reacting. Mm-hmm. Um and so they know. I think everyone knows, but the issue is that we have to count votes and sometimes what I see for that particular issue is that the life of that person of Mr. Sterling is not valued enough to move the case forward. It, it even if it's your last term, you've been on there twelve years. Yes. This can be the one thing you left as a legacy. Yes. The one thing that you can walk off and say you're not running for another office. To my knowledge, you don't have any other um, interest in politics immediately, so you're not going to be burned by your actions. Mm-hmm. But. We still we still can't count the number of people that we need for the vote. 
Um, and we continuously hear reason after reason on why. But at this point, it is obvious that, that you have no desire to, to, to settle the case. The really frustrating thing for me, because I live in her district, mm -hmm. is when Jennifer Rocca said that she was going to abstain because she didn't have enough knowledge of the matter in order to cast a vote. Are you really that stupid? And you didn't say that, I said. Okay. Are you really that stupid? Are you really that uninformed that you can sit in a Metro Council uh, chamber or Zoom, however it was done, and say, I don't know, four years later, 50 months later, you don't have enough information in order to cast an intelligent vote? It, it was absolutely, totally flat. I don't get surprised by a whole lot, but that one shocked me, that, 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 that she chose. Why not just go ahead and vote no, oh, yeah, vote no, rather than say, I'm too ignorant, I'm too uninformed, I'm too out of the loop to make a decision. Well, I would say that, and I'm going to say how I handled it that day when she made her comment. Um... I spoke from my lawyer perspective mm -hmm. um, because that's my classmate. Okay, so I'm saying that okay. you two are a lawyer. Yeah. And so <laughs> when the question started to come to kind of derail the conversation to the wording wasn't right, that's why I could not support it. The truth of the matter is settlement is the same when you learned it in first year law school to when you are – 10 years later practicing. Yeah. And so I don't think that that was a true statement, but I, again, I, I, I would say that for, for her, there must have been some interest, you know, in the current, the current election, and I can't make a movement right now. But I would venture to say from, from seeing her post and knowing her as a person, that at some point she posted that Black Lives Matter on her council page when when there was a recent death in a whole nother state. And so if you can say that about a whole different state and you have knowledge of how this works, then you could have made a decision. Yes. So The Metro Council currently, and, and we're 21 days, 23 days away from an election, so things are going to change. I know you count. You count on oh, your page. I do count. I do count. <laughs> count a lot of things. <laughs> uh, the, the current makeup of the Metro Council is seven Republicans, five Democrats, seven Caucasians, five African Americans. In your opinion, if you don't mind voicing your opinion, is the composition more white, black, or more Republican, Democrat? Um. I would say on the surface is definitely Republican Democrat. But I mean the, the obvious is that it's white black, but I would say on the surface the way votes go, I was talking to one of my colleagues the other day just about taxes cuz I have a tax exemption coming mm -hmm. up. And um his statement was I despise taxes. But I think the one you're bringing is a necessity. He's like I despise exemptions. Mm -hmm. Is that he's like I know that doesn't go together. But that's, that's why I can't support certain things. Mm -hmm. And so I think that in the values that he have and this interest as a Republican, he really is voting that way. But, I mean, Baton Rouge is 
the South, right? It is. And so the South has innate issues um, that was passed down, that was ingrained in, at school. Um, and so you can't forget about that when you're you're sitting on the seat. That's why they tell you, get to know your candidate, get mm -hmm. to know your your um, council person, your elected official, because the interests and the values and the schooling kind of helps you move forward. Mm -hmm. That's kind of what they're saying about um, our Supreme Court nominee is that she went to the same school as, um, um, I'm going to say Mandy, uh, state rep in New Orleans. Mm -hmm. Same exact school path. Mandy is totally progressive. This lady is not. Yeah. So you, you're you thinking, if I vote because she went to the school I went to, I would think that she has the same interest. Mm -hmm. You're also an attorney. You're, you're a practicing attorney. What's your specialty, or, or, or do you cover the field when it comes to law? So I'm a general practitioner, so if it walks through the door, typically, <laughs> typically, not today, but typically okay. I would entertain said client. But my um, specialty area would be family law and civil, um, which mainly is successions and estates. But I do handle some civil litigation. Okay. Um, do you enjoy the law? Yes. Okay. I have lawyers in my family, and, 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 and some <laughs> truly know. love the law, and, it's and some were like, what? Maybe I, I do believe that there has decision. to be some some other call that God has for me yes. at some point because it is weighing weighing on me. Um, but I do love practicing law as of today. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> she qualified it as yeah. of today. Tomorrow maybe day. Um, with regard to the upcoming mayoral election. Uh, You're getting tough. Well, oh Lord, Bishop. <laughs> <laughs> One of your current colleagues is pursuing uh, a seat, uh, the, the, the mayor's mm -hmm. seat. Uh, what do you think is the motivation behind Councilman Watson running for mayor president? Do, do, do you think it's, a, it's an issue-oriented campaign around something like St. George, or do you think it's, it's something else? So... I wouldn't say he's the total St. George candidate, but I think there's a a, a motivation to be in a, a in a higher position with with very little to back it, right? Um, but you all you have to do is qualify, right? Just have to meet the qualifications. Yeah, according to needs. the polls that I have seen, he's not doing very well. Yeah, uh, but he continues to to mount his campaign and continues to be a regular critic of the current occupant of the mayor's office. Very much critical of of, of the current ma uh, mayor. Very much um, aggressive in the approach of what he believes is um, what will move the city forward. And um, I don't know if there's a, a true interest for the whole city um, in that platform. And I don't know if there's true vision for the city. Mm -hmm. I think it, it, it may be a personal motivation, you know? You knew all the time you wanted to run for something or you wanted to be something, and so you did it. I mean, it's a fast track. Mm -hmm. From first first term council per right. person to mayor is really a fast track. I don't. I mean, sometimes I think um, as African American elected officials, 
we try to wait. We try to look for perfect timing. And there's a different, oh God, what's the word we always use? There's an audaciousness that a white male has that has nothing to do with confidence. It's just, you know, they have a different type of um, in you mindset. You have no idea how much I appreciate the fact that you said that the way that you said it. <laughs> you Me and my friends talk about that. find a way to couch it or, or obfuscate it. You just said it. <laughs> that was fabulous. I see it every day. Uh, and, and we don't, we don't as black men or black women have the confidence that they walk in the room with sometimes, mm -hmm. even with the qualifications, mm -hmm. we're like, Oh, I'm gonna wait some more. I'm gonna get some more education. I'm going to read some more. I, and, and, and they woke up and said, I'm doing it right now. Yes. And, and people give money. Yes. To such campaigns. And unfortunately, such. that seems to be the, the, the main thing. If you get enough money, then you're able to mount uh, a serious campaign. Or run uh, on a post. Yes. Or run on a post. Always remember that. Yes. Watch the run on a post. Side. Yes. Judicial run on a post. Council run on a post. It always amazes me. Do you sometimes feel like the red-headed, left-handed stepchild with a limp? <laughs> All the time, all the time, um, especially in, I have been places um, with in, with other elected officials and, ev and everyone speaks to all the men, speaks to the white men, and then it just, oh, wait, I didn't even know that was you. Now I'm assuming my hair changed too much. That's probably <laughs> <laughs> but it is always, you know, when you spoke at a council meeting, I didn't realize that you spoke so eloquently yeah. and articulately. It just, I don't know. Amazing. <laughs> uh, that's the best answer I've gotten. I've been doing this for two years. That's the best answer I've gotten in two years. The, in my opinion, one of the most honest answers I could have ever received. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. I've been thank waiting you. to use it. I haven't <laughs> been asked to do it. It's in my, my, my other chat group. We, we go real uh, hard on that one issue. There is, on the ballot of November 3rd, uh, there is an amendment to the state's constitution that will allow corporations to opt out of paying property taxes and instead negotiate uh, fees as opposed to property taxes. It's, it's Amendment 5. Uh, can you share with, with me your opinion and, and how that might potentially impact the district that you serve? Well, any t uh, tax exemptions or opting out um, of large corporations takes money from the budget that we use to service the community. Um, and so, and, and keep in mind, we got a budget that's already been um, trampled with since COVID. Right. We have a budget that may be shaken up because of St. George. Right. And now the corporations that feed into our education system, our city budget, and even your law enforcement budget, because mm -hmm. that that helps some people to be focused. Mm -hmm. um, that if if they get to opt out, we saw how much um, disdain that came from corporations just having the ability to judge them on the tax exemption. 
um, to put some guidelines in place. So the fact that now you're usurping that again shows that you want to continue to be able to make um, choices on if you put into the city government. And local local government can't handle that opting in and out. Mm Um, we we can do a little bit better on tax exemptions and you know making sure it's a case by case basis that we look at every corporation, but that that's going to be hard if they could just jump over us. Yeah, you know. Uh, so the motivation behind that, I would imagine, would be to try to uh, regain a certain degree of latitude that they felt like was lost by the governor uh, making it. Uh, necessary that they come before uh, your group, uh, the Metro Council, the school board, and the sheriff's office in order mm-hmm. to get approval for these tax exemptions uh, that that they were requesting. Is there anything that comes to your mind uh, that has happened post the governor's mandate that you think serves as an appropriate uh, motivation for them to try to circumvent uh, your office? And, and pay taxes i don't I don't think anything has significantly happened besides the governor coming back and saying, "Let's give it right back to um the commission to be able to make some decisions as well um the process i think which what he did was put the process back to them again um and no, nobody ever goes to those commissions uh to look to see. Um, how the application went because it's pretty much a uh, you put a stamp of approval on it on Mm -hmm. the state level Um, I don't I don't think beyond the fact that there's been more advocacy toward this issue more people are enlightened now on how corporations you know uh, are, are trying to keep away from having the mandate to give. And they say that, you know, the exemption is only for this time period, and then they'll be back giving into the the um, budget and giving back to the, the district. But some of our districts can't stand to, to take a loss anywhere. Right, right. Let's talk about St. George for a second. Uh, I'm of the opinion that if they want to go, let them go. Uh, they changed the rules. They they tried it once with the petition. They fell narrowly short, but they fell short. They went back and reconfigured the boundaries, uh, opted out of all of the African-American opposition that they saw, and, and pulled in all the people that they thought were favorable to their position. They got the vote. They won. My opinion is, let them go. Make them pay. <laughs> I, I have no problem with them going. I have a problem with them trying to leave without paying. I saw this happen with Central, uh, when, when, when Central Incorporated, and it was primarily, all this is about schools. Let's not fool ourselves. This is about appropriating schools and facilities and not being held responsible for the legacy costs that go along with those things. I am fully in support of the mayor and Councilman Cole and whoever else it is that's a part of the suit saying you need to justify the costs uh, that that, that you're going to leave on the table as you exit. You need to pay this before you go. 
saying all of that. What's your opinion about St. George? I've already told you mine. <laughs> What's your yeah. opinion about St. George? Um, I I believe that we're already having so on the on the simple side of this, we already we're already having issues with services in city parish. Right. And um there's already issues with the 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 workforce and the ability to maintain. And most of the time the workforce and the uh push for services are typically on one one side of town. Now, I, I try to say that a whole different way when I go back to my district. But I'm saying that because those services are being funded. And when they when they get ready to leave, um, they're, they're saying that they still want the same services. Right. And I think that you, you, you can't have both. You can't have the cake and eat it, too. You need to make sure you're establishing all of the, the services, the makeup of your government that you want to have. And I think they just want to get out and have no plan, no clue. They have not established anything. And um, I, I, I don't I just don't like that kind of movement. Um, but I also don't think that we deserve to give them the, the master plan on how to move. Right. And that's what I think they you're the want. one who wants to leave. Develop a plan that, that that shows that you have thought about what leaving looks like. And the, the problem for me when you when you talked about the the issues that came with the education system, we talked about us being uh, public school educated. Right. That shift happened uh, one time with you guys. Uh, the next group came with She's my. She's telling you that I'm old. <laughs> I'm not just, saying just, that. Just, just making no. sure you, you you caught that. <laughs> but it was a different shift. It yes. was one shift with you, and then that shift came right with my brother, my brother's class, where then they did another shift. So the school system has already tried to to fix it, to desegregate it, to right. to make sure that certain areas get certain types of schools. And at this point, this is the last resort. Right. We we and 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 if that's the case, then we want our schools back. You you can't you can't take the teachers, you can't take the schools. Build your own system. Right. Like the rest of them. Right. Um, and I think that th there is still a lot that EBR has to do to fix the problems of the the result. I'm not going to say the problems, but the, the outcome of all of the switches that happened, the, 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 um, the movement, the, the flight that happened mm -hmm. in our um, school system. Mm -hmm. And like I said, that was a couple of different segments of the movement. Um, and we're trying to reestablish with magnet schools and trying to re revigorate, I guess, the school system in certain ways, but it's hard. And so we Especially we can't if you don't have it. money because you keep you telling take... corporations that you don't have to pay property taxes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We have the most regressive tax system in the nation in East Baton Rouge Parish, in the state of Louisiana. Uh, we, we we pay a higher percentage of sales taxes. Mm -hmm. uh, we try to fund things through millages, and, and, and we are milliging ourselves literally to death, and not to death, today. to bankruptcy. Uh, but we won't pay property taxes. And mm -hmm. I get stoned when I say you need to get rid of the homestead exemption. And, and make everybody pay property taxes. Oh, that's not and a then, popular and, and, view. And then make corporations <laughs> pay their for just a seventy-five thousand dollar homestead exemption was was back in the Huey Long administration. It's a mm -hmm. hundred years old, mm -hmm. 
And you see the results of that. We don't have money. What you're describing as 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 problems with schools could be fixed with dollars. Mm-hmm. But we don't want to pay dollars for that. Uh, and, and, and rich folk, white, black, purple, blue, doesn't mm-hmm. matter. Rich folk really don't want to pay. Yeah. And, 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 and you say that a 9% sales tax uh, is fair. Fair to who? If, if, if I'm living on a fixed income, income or if I'm living on Social Security or if I'm living off of welfare benefits, 9% hits me a whole lot harder yeah. than it does somebody who makes $100,000, $200,000 a year. Yeah. So how is it that we can say we want these things, but we don't want to pay for these things? Because what you're asking us to pay for something that we tan- we can't tangibly see. I, 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 until I see the school system look a certain way, then I might say that. When people go to Zachary, they feel like they see it. And that's, that's the hard goal of every black elected official is producing the brick and mortar products. If, if you don't produce brick and mortar, what mm-hmm. have you done for our district? Mm-hmm. Where am I get the, where will I get the money? The, the partnerships to do that. Right. I don't, I can't create a revitalization study that you're going to support because it just it's not it's not what we used to seeing. We're used to church funds, and and that's what we see. If if the building comes in 33 years, then we're fine with that. <laughs> you know, and so that's what that's the battle of the elected official. Not ne- not necessarily all. I'm just saying the battle of the black elected official because if you can't produce that, and I grew up in the age of um, the cost center, mm-hmm. you know, and Serenity sixty seven, mm-hmm. where they felt like nobody said Serenity sixty seven and the cost center had to be in your community center. We just wanted to see it, right. So that meant that people were, elected officials were doing things because their nonprofit and their um, program was visible. Mm-hmm. That's hard to do. Mm-hmm. I, I have to pay people to stay after work um, to, to manage a community center, to even try to do an after school program to the level that it was being done in years before me. I understand. So that's a, that's a struggle. So you're trying to get me to jump to, you know the, the the highest rim to talk about making my property tax connect to a, a, a foreseeable city when I can't even see in my city, my district, my district actual, like I said, tangible proof that my elected officials were really working for me. That's the problem. We we can't and you know we can't connect dollars and cents. Because dollars and cents to us are the the materialistic things that we really don't need. Right. That's financial literacy that we're not teaching. Baton Rouge currently is on a path to break records with regard to homicides uh, in 2020. Um, I think that Police Chief Murphy Paul has done a magnificent job as police chief. That being said, we still have a crime problem in Baton Rouge. What do you see as being uh, the the root of that crime problem that exists? Um, the root is always going to be um, poverty, right? 
that's that's just on that's the bottom line. But then I also add to it, and I've said this in many forums, that there's there is a a lack of fear in young people now. That it hasn't. If if you were fearful of anything, you wouldn't commit so many crimes. I know it's crimes of survival for some, but but at this point, when you're killing people. I don't think you're attempting to survive. You're trying mm-hmm. to prove a point. Mm-hmm. And you're proving a point that I am bigger than whatever's around me. So if you were fearful of your pastor or if you were fearful of your parents at best or your neighbors, then you wouldn't do that mm-hmm. because you wouldn't want anyone to see that. And we don't we we don't fear anything anymore because we watch TV and we see um crime sensationalized. I don't watch much TV, mm-hmm. but the truth is I am desensitized to a number of things and crime is one of them because I, you know, you watch crime shows. Mm-hmm. And so though there is the poverty issue where, you know, if I could provide jobs for every young person, then I would hope that the job would keep him to have the fear in him to want to keep the job and not get in trouble because mm-hmm. I got to go to court. I'm a miss work. If I miss work, I'm not, you know. The, the cycle goes on. But, you know, that's one way to try to fix the problem. But I think, you know, the bottom line is we're not accountable to anyone anymore. Murphy Paul can walk the street and literally the the guys, the females would say hello to him and, and would not be fearful of him at all. You mentioned church. You're a strong member of Goryland Baptist Church, longtime mm-hmm. member of Goryland. Uh, Baptist Church. Give me an honest assessment. One of the things that that I talk about when we have these conversations is I try to probe people and ask them what your assessment is of what the black church is doing and what the black church could do better uh, in in, in contemporary times, Uh, even before COVID, Mm -hmm. if, if, if we were honest with ourselves. Uh, black church attendance was sagging. Mm -hmm. It continues to sag. It has sagged for the last 25, 30 years. Uh, That being said, there is still a core group uh, that strongly believes in the church, strongly supports the church. I I have been uh, uh, validated in that statement by seeing how the membership of this church has supported this church through Through. Mm -hmm. this COVID crisis. Uh, but as a person of faith, as a person who goes to church, because sometimes I'm talking to people who don't go to nobody's mm-hmm, church, mm-hmm. but as someone who goes to church and who sees things, what is your assessment of the African-American church and what is, what is it that you think that we could do better? On a large scale, I think that um, churches do a good job of, of the main thing that they're supposed to do, preach the gospel connect with the members, um, give them hope and faith. But then there's a disconnect when it comes to um, outreach and services. But then you also have to think about every church cannot manage to do all of those things and maintain the lights and everything. Also, every church does not have a membership that also thinks that outreach is important whether it be directly to the church or outside of the church. Um, And so you can have a a leader come in and say that we're going to switch our 
you know, focus to try to do these things, or we're going to start educating our membership on this. I think that you also have to think about the membership may not want all of that, but the goal of the church is being met. The issue I am having now is that um, we are still having a lot of, as a lawyer that focuses on um, family issues, I think that we're missing a big mental health side. Mm-hmm. that can probably help resolve some of these generational issues that we're having mm-hmm. if we would be real about um, some of our mental health concerns. Especially, we this we're going through disaster after disaster, pandemic after pandemic. Um, a lot of families are dealing with... Well, the family structure is definitely changing. Mm-hmm. So preaching a gospel that only addresses a certain type of structure, it has, it has, you're going to miss some people in that. And so I think that that means you got to cater. You have to do things a little differently. Um, and you know, I go back and forth with my family on this one. I, I don't know. Cause I'm thinking about all this, the, the, um, the, all of the churches in my district, many aren't large, but their, their membership supports what that church gives. Right. But then you have your, your, uh, millennial and younger group that's completely being left out. Mm -hmm. Um, And that might be some of our own doing, but I think that pastors have to make an intentional effort to reach them. Mm -hmm. And some people don't think it's worth it. Mm -hmm. Um, They're not going to give enough money. They're not going to be consistent enough. They're going to go to, as my father called, it's a new church. You're going to go to the next church Mm -hmm. and you're going to like that church for two years and you're going to leave again. Mm -hmm. And it's no issue with the ministers who have growing churches, but that's how our our parents see the way we're we're looking at church. And I have a number of friends who say they don't even, they don't need to go to church, mm-hmm. especially now that you can get everything online. online. Yeah, and so you know, but there are people living with depression and anxiety and losses, whether that's grief, whether that's divorce, whether there's lack you know parents out of the home. How are we going to address that as a church? Mm-hmm. We're just going to keep saying, you know, see you next Sunday. Right. Right. We're going to keep marrying everybody and just saying, you know, hope you have a good marriage. Mm-hmm. How are we going to reach the real issues to keep people and and keep out those generational issues? So there needs to be more contemporary training that comes from a spiritual perspective. Uh, is, is what I'm hearing you saying. Mm-hmm. I'm not trying to put words in your mouth. No, that, yeah. That's what I'm hearing you say. And I, I would certainly agree with that. You brought up a mental health issue, which leads me to one more topic. Bridge Center for Hope uh, is about to come online. Uh, we, we met, we being Prophetic Voices, our, our coalition of clergy, Great. met with uh, Ms. Claiborne mm-hmm. uh, today. Uh, as, as this is being recorded uh, on Friday, October 9th, we, we had... Uh, a a 45-minute discussion with her about the Bridge Center for Hope. And uh, it's a dedicated—it's the product of a dedicated tax. Another tax. uh, That that came through East Baton Rouge Parish. Uh, Do you have any uh, thoughts about Bridge Center for Hope uh, going forward? I have to see it come to pass, right? I mm-hmm. just, I mean, I toured it the other day. Okay. I talked to Ms. Claiborne a lot. I told her to call you guys. Um, 
And I have to see it come to pass. I, when I toured it, I, I can visualize it. My issue is their transportation concern. Mm -hmm. um, driving down the street, I see some people that I don't know how they're going to actually get there. How do these people, how are they going to know about it? Mm -hmm. um, and are families going to take it serious enough to bring their family members there? Mm -hmm. um, and because it's funded by taxpayers, you know, are we going to meet the need of the community? Because there's still a, n a certain number of beds, still a certain number of rooms. 64 beds for a parish that's 400,000 people. Yeah. It's one of the concerns that, that, that I lifted. Uh, and of course, being perfectly transparent, one of the concerns we have is that people of a certain income that's will be given preferential uh, uh, choice with regard to uh, bed space as opposed to people who don't necessarily have the same economic means. Mm -hmm. and, 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 and so that, that's a deep concern uh, that we have. That being said, I do think the, the, the presentation that she made was very impressive. Mm -hmm. and, and, and I do think that it's a move in the right direction. But I, I agree with you that there is a mental health uh, issue that is prevalent in this parish. Uh, that we have for too long not addressed mm -hmm. and that is causing a considerable amount of suffering that takes place within this parish. And not ad not only not addressed, but created an environment where the expectation is that everyone should address it. So you're not necessarily addressing it, but law enforcement should address it. Right. Preachers should address it. Right. Families should try to figure out how to do it. So the other issue is the experts that need to be touching these people, you know, we're we're hoping that that that's the quality of of people that we'll have in that facility. Mm -hmm. Again, still a small facility, but um, that's that's my major concern. I asked first one of the first two questions I asked her: Where are you getting your employees from? Mm -hmm. And are you are you doing? you know, comprehensive ways to reach these people. We have medical professionals everywhere. And I remember when Baton Rouge General had their psych um, floor, and I know a couple of people that worked there for years. And so that is something that I think that we have experts here, but I am really concerned with us just putting people in the position because we have to fill the vacancies, and then we're not really meeting the need. Um, from that perspective, but yeah, this is going to be hard to, to reach a lot of people in that, in that particular area. People have a hard time, you know, Plank Road, which is not that close to here, but Plank Road is the, the largest traveled area for people with no vehicles, right? Without I did vehicles. not know that. That's, that's why we're doing, um, when I say we're, um, CADS is um, doing a bus rapid transit system on that street because okay. it's the most traveled area without individuals with cars. And so how how can, how can are the people going to get there mm -hmm. is a huge question. It's the centralized location. Mm -hmm. Florida Boulevard is the most central place you can be. But, you know, if, if and even a bus stop right there at the corner, I still will, I still think will be hard stretched to get the people that need the, the actual... Um, services there. You went to Prairie View. Yes. How'd you make that choice? 
I wanted to go to an HBCU. I was a swag baby. My parents had season books to Southern all my life. Okay. And um, me and my brother, so I'm going to throw him in here too if I'm going to get bashed. Um, <laughs> Not going to get we bashed. Made I'm just decision. curious about the choice. We, we said we're, we're going to HBCUs okay. somewhere else, and our parents supported that. Okay. And so I visited Texas Southern, um, and I wanted to go to Texas because I thought everybody in Texas was much smarter. Right? Okay. For some reason, I thought that, and then I was getting paid for doing papers, and then I realized that was not the <laughs> truth. But um, he went to Alabama A&M, okay. and then I went to Prairie View, and um, best decision I ever made. Um, it, 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 made it grew me up. Mm -hmm. um, it provided me many opportunities. Um, because of Prairie View, I was able to be an FBI intern. Um, is that right? In the sieges division, yes, um, and which is a highly competitive area. Mm -hmm. um, and because of Prairie View, I was able to get all of my law school uh, pre-law uh, uh, studies paid for through their their uh, summer programs. Um, and so I believe that they really helped me. Um, and I, I developed really great friends who are still. Um, doing great things in the community. Um, Prairie View produces productive people. Yes. Remember that. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so we have the highest retention rate. I'm actually recruiting right now. Um, <laughs> highest retention rate. So we have fun, but we actually stay in school. So. <laughs> you lived in Texas and you made the choice to come back to Baton Rouge. When you came back, I love Baton Rouge. Born here, raised here, plan to die here. Uh, I love Baton Rouge. When you, but but a lot a lot of people leave here and they don't come back. You made the choice to come back. What was the driving force for you to come back? I w I went to law school. Um, Southern um, Law School is where I went. So I came back for school. That first six months was a struggle mm -hmm. for me, my family. You know, they were empty nesters, and I'm like, you know, we don't have kids here. Um, and so it was a struggle for me. And then I just felt t Texas is fast paced. Mm -hmm. um, Texas has a lot more things, you know, everything about it, even the, I would say the eclectic side of me felt like the cultural side of me was birthed in Texas. And so that was hard to come back. But all I, but I, what I learned, and I remember one of my best friends and I were talking about it. That I, that meant I had to bring that back here. Mm -hmm. So that's why I have a Awe Festival. That's an urban book and culture festival every year. That's why I have a mentorship program that specifically teaches about um, cultural awareness for young black women. Mm -hmm. um, because I felt that that was missing. Again, going back to to um, some of the reason why we have a lot of issues. I believe that if you are educating um, young people and black kids on their heritage and their, their self-awareness, then they become stronger individuals. They're not teaching that in school. Mm -hmm. um, I think at one point in Prairie View, I tried to be a Black Panther in my head. Um, <laughs> Mama pulled me back. But at that point, I realized there's something about having um, a, a, a connection to your heritage mm -hmm. that it takes years to learn because we're not sitting with older people and listening to the stories that they've overcome. And so... Um, once I got got to the point to know that I'm needed here, um, I know that my perspective was needed. Um, I think that that's when I realized I can't leave. And a number of my friends and I still have that conversation. Colleagues have that conversation. And it's a hard stay because this is not a progressive city. 
the city um, does not support um, young people and their voices. Um, I think we're moving there now. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think that even, I'll give a, a quick statement about Visit Baton Rouge. When we started doing the festivals um, and Byron uh, Washington started doing some of the North Baton Rouge um, projects and things like that, we asked them to promote Southern better. And they said, um, well, I thought we were doing good. It was literally one post. LSU had 17 um, marketing things happening with Visit Baton Rouge. If I go to Atlanta, if I go to Houston, I go to Dallas, I can look on the city's page for tourism and find a number of different things that I can do that same day that my people are at. We had to meet with Paul and his staff and had to give them graphics to show them how to support and to project the African-American experience in the predominantly black city called Baton Rouge. Wow. They literally could not figure out how to do a picture on social media. So I know that there is more need for us here, um, and I say us, the talented tent, to be here, right? To, to bring forth some of the knowledge Good that you've WB learned. Du Bois reference. Yeah, uh, I love them. <laughs> <laughs> and then I have a little book of tea in me too. But um, that that group has to stand up and start sitting in these rooms and holding accountable all of these spaces so that this can be a, a, a area, a city that is a comfortable city for you to grow. We shouldn't have had to have Alton Sterling for you to wear a Black Lives Matter shirt. Right. Right. I do feel, uh, and, and, and we're, we're close to wrapping up, okay. but, but, but I do feel that uh, there is an anxiety that exists within young people. Uh, I, I can call them young people now because I'm old. <laughs> uh, where they feel like we're not moving fast enough. And I, I understand their desire to see more quickly but I also recognize that it's difficult to appreciate where you've come from if you're constantly looking at what you haven't done rather than look at what you've accomplished. Uh, I'm almost 60 years old, just turned 59. I've lived here most of my life. Mm -hmm. lived in the South my entire life. You know, I spent nine years in New Orleans, uh, which is very different yes. from Baton Rouge. Yes. But, but, uh, this city, for all of its faults, and I can give you a list of them, has come a long way from where it was. Uh, and I think that sometimes we don't get enough credit for what has been accomplished because we're constantly looking at what should have been done by now. Uh, and so uh, I appreciate the fact that you made the commitment to come back. And uh, I, I accept the assessment that there's more that needs to be done. And that's why you're going to stay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, a friend of ours who was a council person in uh, South Carolina, he came down and actually spoke for MLK Day. And he was like, this is just not normal to have that many black, young black elected officials. Mm -hmm. I, I'm by myself. Mm -hmm. And so that's when I kind of realized, hey, we are all right. We're, we're not we're not as bad as we seem. Mm -hmm. We do have to get on the same page sometimes. Right. But when he said that, I, I felt like, well, the accomplishments and well, the the vision and the uh, the goal for from individuals that started running and strategically running back in the day um, have finally been met. 
and we just have to continue to work on it and to keep it. And I think also that there, there there's going to be some changes in, in the next couple of years with the makeup. The city is a black city. Yes. And so now it has to look that way. Yes. Whether it's on the judicial seats, whether it's in the council, whether it's in leadership in city government, you can't be mad if we have seven people that's black in leadership. That's the makeup of our city. Right. But, you know, I think that, like you said, New Orleans is different. And they, they they are truly representative of their different, their diaspora of, of culture. <laughs> and so hopefully I hope we can get there. This has been truly a delight. Oh. And, I, and I really appreciate your taking the time. Typically, I'd ask questions about... Uh, uh, progeny and, and whether or not you want them to live here and so forth and so on. Rather than do that, I'm going to give you the opportunity to say whatever you'd like to say to your constituency because you are a candidate for uh, the District 5 Metro Council seat. Um, thank you. And thank you for having me. Um, I just want my district to understand that the the process and the type of leader that I have presented the last four years address some of the things that I said today, cultural change, address progressive policy, address, address community commitment. I'm not just in organizations. I have been in leadership capacity. I've not just worked with um, our people. I've been on the Forum 35 um, committees and the junior league committees, and I understand how both sides of the table work. I have a passion for District 5 because that's where I grew up. Uh, that's where my parents still reside. Um, but I also have a passion to making sure that I can complete some additional projects in this district. I need to be in the seat to complete those projects. And so that's that's what I'm asking for, support. I'm asking for prayers, and I'm asking for the trust of the community to know that we talked about the brick and mortar is coming, but I need additional time to do that. Thank you, Councilwoman Green, for taking the time to share with us today. Thank, Thank you me. all for listening. Thank you all for viewing. We'll be back again next time.